thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after having done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This morning we'll take a look at the shield of faith. But what was it that Paul had in mind as he wrote those words? Being near legionaries, he would have seen uh, probably the image that many of us have. When we think of the square shield that, uh, that was pretty big, it would have covered about 80% of a Roman soldier's body. But that wasn't quite enough to give him full protection. Uh, But Paul knew that just as our faith isn't meant to be lived in isolation, the Roman soldier was not getting his strength by being on his own. Uh, Rather, the shield of faith and uh, the shield that the Romans would have carried uh, was made stronger by being linked next to the next shield. And so you would have a wall of shields that would be impenetrable. And not only that, the shield, and even though it covered only 80%, the line behind you would put their shield over the top of you to provide you greater protection when the arrows were coming in. And that's what Paul had in mind as he says, take up the shield of faith. Do it in context with one another and you'll be stronger. So we are, we're looking at... uh... Ephesians 6, uh, verse 16 today, and uh, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, all of them, all of them. It's, while, while the belt of truth ties everything we know together, it's the foundation, while the breastplate of righteousness is, we, we learn from truth what righteousness is, and we live and act that way, and it, uh, it's how we battle those, those temptations in our lives, those the sin that we might easily run into and, and, and some of those attacks by the enemy that way. And then the, the uneasiness, the unrest, the, the, the depression, the anxiety, that we have this incredible peace in the gospel that is, is based upon the character and nature of God that we get to live in peace even in the midst of the chaos. And now we have faith. And faith is really the one that Paul says here, 
will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Of all the things that the evil one seeks to attack, of all the ways that we are attacked in our faith, right? That's even the phrase we use, that we're attacked in our faith. It's to get us to look away from the Father. It's to get us to look away from the one that we trust. It's to get us to doubt the love, the care, the truth of who God is. It's to get us to depend on our own strength instead of the strength of God. It's to get us to understand our own circumstances with our own understanding as opposed to seeing them through the eyes of the Father and through the character of God. See, faith is action built on belief, which means it has to start with belief. And belief for us as followers of Christ comes from God. So our faith in Christ is a gift from God. Our belief in Christ is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So as Paul's talking about faith and this great shield that we have, this great protection that we have, he had already taught on faith. We had talked about it earlier several, several weeks ago when we, when we taught on this passage. Let's read it together. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, right? Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, right? For it is by grace, that means a gift that we have been saved, through faith, and then Paul says, time out, time out. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by your works. No one can boast of this. It's not just that salvation is the gift of God. It is faith in God. That is this great gift. We could not even believe in God. We couldn't have a belief in him without him giving it to us. We couldn't put our faith and take an action without him giving us the faith to do it. We couldn't do those things without him calling us to that place. Without him calling us into the presence of God. Without him awakening us and giving us life. Let's look at it this way. If we were drowning and they pull us out of the water... And we are not breathing. I mean, it's, we're down there. We're not breathing. We're up out of the water. And unless someone gives us breath, we're not being revived. We, our time on this earth will expire. There's minutes left that we can live off the oxygen that remains in our bloodstream. We have to have more air. We have to have more oxygen. And the only way we're going to get it is if somebody gives it to us. We were dead in our sins and transgressions before God. We were enemies of God. We stood opposed to him. We were not alive to God. We were dead. And we needed life. And that life came from him. Through the Holy Spirit, he gave us faith to believe in the work that he did. Through the Holy Spirit, he gave us faith to believe in his great sacrifice. Through the Holy Spirit, he gave us faith to believe that his Payment for our sins was enough for salvation and that we would become sons and daughters of God, that we'd be forgiven, that his righteousness, we talked about it a few weeks ago, would be imputed into our account, that we would be seen as righteous. He gave us the faith to believe all of that. But that faith is built upon God, right? So in other words, he gave it to us but he gave it to us through an understanding of who God is. He gave it to us through understanding, as he gave us an understanding of all the works that God did, God's great hand, the promises that he kept, 
the work that he did, the sacrifices that he made. That is where our belief and our faith came from. So this faith that Paul's talking about, it's a faith that is action based upon that belief. Listen to what Hebrews 11, 1 through 2 says. It says, now faith is confident in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, but the assurance of what we do not see. We have this great assurance that everything that Jesus said will come to true, come to pass. We have this great assurance that we will be in eternity. We have this great assurance that the Holy Spirit lives and walks with us. We've got a great assurance. Even though we can't see it, we have this great assurance that was given to us. But just simply to say, yeah, I believe in that. That's good. Man, it's great. I believe in it. Got a good faith. Man, it's great. And that's the end. All done. That's great. You got a great faith. You have some good knowledge. Holy Spirit's kind of giving you some life back. That's good. It's as if the one who got revived just laid there and go, oh, I'm so glad I breathe again. And he lays there for the rest of his life breathing. What good was the air that was given to him if he's just going to lay there and do nothing with it? We were given this faith that we would go live. We would go live this outrageous, incredible life. That we would go live what Jesus described as life to the fullest. And it would all be based on the foundation of who God is. And that our faith that was given to us would increase. Our understanding would increase. Our boldness in faith would increase. We would increase. Right? Listen to how John phrased it in 1 John 5, 4. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith is supposed to become so strong because we take action, and as we take action, it grows. We take action because it is based on the character of who God is. We trust him, and we trust in the power of God in our lives, his power, his authority, and his promises. That's what our faith is built on. Not, well how, not well how, how well you can do it, not how, how great you can be, not how strong you are, not how long you've been in the church, not how many right things you do. Your faith for the next moment in life is based upon who God is. That's the great shield, that he's bigger and stronger and greater than all of our circumstances, that he knows all things and lead us, leads us through all things. Faith is looking forward but not being 100% sure of what is beyond our next step, but trusting 100% in the one who is always with us. So faith is not being 100% sure of what's next, but it's 100% trusting of the one who goes before us and leads us and secures us. Our faith is built on the belief in who God is. If we return to Hebrews 11, it's often been called the Hall of Faith, right? The Hall of Fame of those who have been faithful. And it's this great picture throughout Scripture of all those who took action with their faith. They didn't just say, I believe. They took action. The belief in who God was absolutely changed their lives. It changed the trajectory of their life. It changed everything. It was their rock when it was time to make choices and decisions. It was their stronghold in life. It was everything they needed. And listen to what some of Hebrews 11 recounts for us. And it is all with people who lived by faith. 
Hebrews 11.1 again says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, but the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. It starts in Genesis at the creation itself. Faith looks at the data of creation and sees the reality, sees that there really is a God. Faith comes, and next comes three pre-flood heroes who together depict the pattern of any believer's life, right? By faith, Abel came to God and was justified. By faith, Enoch walked in, Enoch walked in fellowship with God. And by faith, Noah served God through obedience. We come to God, we walk with God, and we serve him in obedience. What a great picture. The largest section of Hebrews is given to Abraham. He obeyed God's call. He was faithful to God's call. He left everything that he had and he, that he had accumulated, where he lived, the land he owned, and he became a, became a pilgrim in a strange land. He believed that God would give him a son, him and Sarah a son, even though they were in their 90s. And he believed. And his belief caused him to take steps of action and to have faith. And God gave him a son, and that son's name was Isaac. And then the Lord said, take Isaac and sacrifice him on the altar. What? No. Yes. And by faith, he went to sacrifice his, his son. That's crazy. By faith, he went and did that. He took action. And what did God do? God blessed him and gave us a beautiful picture of a, substitute, a substitutionary sacrifice that would cause us to look forward to the cross. Oh, what a beautiful picture that was. He did everything by faith, acting, moving, trusting God and the promises of God. The writer of Hebrews continues, reminding us of the faithful actions of generation after generation of God's people. Moses and Joshua through Judges, David and the prophets, by faith they conquered kingdoms, stopped the mouths of lions, and became mighty in war. They endured torture and stood firm in the face of death. Throughout the generations, they lived out their belief with faithful actions, trusting God to provide and be their triumph against a world's worst opposition. Because of their faith, verse 16 says this, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, in Christ, God will never be ashamed to be called our God because he sees us through the righteousness of Christ. But there will be a day that we stand before the Father. And there will be a day that our, our actions, our faithful actions are reviewed. And they're held up to the scrutiny of the Lord. And on that day, how great would it be? Scripture tells us that the Lord will put his, right, that the Lord might put his hand on us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Belief in action. That's the life that we're supposed to live. It's supposed to cause us to move forward. Faith is action built on belief. The belief in Jesus Christ and who he is. The power of God, the promises of God. Faith is looking forward, not being 100% sure of what is beyond the next step, but trusting 100% in the one who is always with us. And now, let's make sure we understand something else about faith. While faith is given to us by God, faith is based upon God. Faith does not have to be logical. When we expect faith to be logical, not that it wouldn't be at times, but when we expect that faith has to be logical, that is, it has to align with our human reasoning, our human understanding, our limited knowledge, then we are making God into our image 
instead of being made in his image. We are asking God to follow our intentions instead of by faith and belief in who he is following his intentions. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Without our logic crippling us, holding us back, it may actually seem like the next step is sure failure. And yet we have a God that if he asks us to go, he will support us, he will lead us, he will have us, he will keep us. That's the shield of faith. To walk into those unknown areas because of who God is and what he has said. It's, it's not logical, just like the man who had his PhD in electronics. And he left running the computer systems of the state of California, one of the largest organizations in the entire world. He left running that to move to the inner city of L.A., a neighborhood called Watts. He left the comfort to move into a converted house now known as the Lighthouse Community Church and Outreach Center. God told him to go serve and help children in the community of the inner city of Los Angeles. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, he was making a great living. Just send money, for goodness sakes. It doesn't make any sense to give all that up. It doesn't make any sense to give up the, the power. It doesn't make any sense to give up the, the, the influence. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any logical sense to stop doing what he's doing that he went to school his whole life for, and now he has the career that he really wanted, he needed, or thought he needed, that, that was perfect for him. So it doesn't make any sense to leave that. And then it doesn't make any sense, does it? Let's think about it for a minute. We've used this expression in our own lives. We know the other people who have used it with us. It doesn't make any logical sense, does it, to give everything away because then we have nothing to give ourselves, right? We say that all the time. Well, if I give everything away, if I empty out all my pockets and my bank accounts and I give it all away, what, 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 I'm going to need to be taken care of. It doesn't make any logical sense, and yet that's what he did. One moment, he was taking care of many, and the next moment, people were having to take care of him. How does that make sense? How does that make logical sense? Faith doesn't have to make logical sense. Faith has to follow God, right? Sounds a little bit like Abraham had everything and he said, move to Canaan. Sounds a little bit like Moses who lived in the palace and said, you're going to now be the one who frees the people of Israel. You're going to be the one. These things don't make sense. Could have had, Moses could have had so much power if he just stayed in the palace. And yet, he had God's power, God's strength, God's authority. He did it God's way. And the people, the Hebrew people, were freed. And eventually, took possession of the promised land. You know what else doesn't make sense? <laughs> or maybe it does. Hindsight does that to you, doesn't it? But he didn't know what the next step was. He just knew he had to end up in Los Angeles. And then he wrote a grant. Who figured? I wonder how he learned to do that. He wrote a grant. What was the grant for? So he could take old buses, outfit them as computer labs, and drive around inner city L.A. teaching kids at that time how to use computers, how to program computers, and how to get prepared to go to college. Wow. And all along while he's in this bus and he's got other people helping, he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of eternity and what faith can bring. Oh, man. That's exciting. I wonder how he learned to do those things. God prepared him and then said, now I'm going to do the illogical thing. 
I need you to have faith that has action, even though it won't be logic. And then here's the next thing that's just not logic. Because here's the deal. In that exact space, in that exact part of Los Angeles, in that exact parking lot, in front of that exact house that he now lives in one bedroom instead of his giant house in Sacramento, California. In that place, right there, just a couple years earlier, his niece was shot and killed. It doesn't make logical sense that you go back there to minister to those people. It just doesn't make sense. And how was she shot and killed? Because her mother, his sister, had leaned over to pick her up and the stray bullet that nobody had any idea was coming went across her back and killed her daughter. Oh, not logic, faith. Not logic, faith. God doesn't say it has to make sense to us. He says, trust me and trust who I am because I will do great things through you. And now people have come to know Christ. There is freedom in people's lives. There's peace in that neighborhood because of him and others who have brought the peace of Jesus Christ there. Faith is not without risk. We just talked about part of that risk, but we tend to think that faith in God would make my life okay, that if I have faith in God, my life wouldn't have trouble or tragedy, that if I had faith that I wouldn't be asked to do anything that could really make the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And faith is not without risk. Leviticus eleven forty-five says this, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. If we're going to live a holy life, it will require risk. Because it stands opposed to culture. It stands opposed to other philosophies. It stands opposed to people at times. It is risky business to have a belief in God and a faith of action. And yet, it's the safest place to be. Right in the middle of God's will. Christ was the greatest of all risk takers. If the father said it was true, if he was asked to do it, he did it. He lived com a completely holy life. He lived counterculture. He was the greatest example of an obedient faith, faith in action that so often is lacked in our lives. Do you remember what Ephesians 5.1 said? Because remember, Paul's drawing from everything else that he taught. Remember what Ephesians 5.1 says? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just like Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To walk in faith is to live a life of sacrifice. To walk in faith is to risk everything so that others might know about who Christ is and the one who is the foundation of our belief. To walk in faith is to risk everything. How do we develop these traits? How do we develop the, the faith that can actually act? We're given faith. But how do we grow it? How does it become that which literally protects us from the flaming arrows that come at us over and over and over again? You know, the, the statements that the enemy makes in our lives. Ah, can he really provide for you? Will he really save? Will he really be there for you? Don't be too loud. Don't be too radical. Don't, don't, don't step out too far. Don't risk too much. Fit into the crowd, the mold. Pursue the earthly best. Just get to retirement. Then you can do more. Then you can step out a little bit more if you just get there. God really isn't who he says he is. You wouldn't be in as much pain. 
If he was really the all-powerful God, he wouldn't let you experience this. If he was really God, all the arrows of your faith, they come flying at you to get you to look away, get you to take your eyes off him, to depend on yourself and what you can accomplish and your own logic and to sit in safety as opposed to take risks. That lives would never be changed. Hope would never be given. That's what the enemy wants. Now, don't get me wrong. Oh, we'll never stop the work of God. You sit still? Great. God's going to use somebody else. You don't want to take a risk? That's okay. God will use somebody else. God's work will never be thwarted by our response to faith. Never. But you get to be a part of it. You get to be in the center of it. You get to live like the ones that said, I am so proud to be your God because you walked in faith. You get to be the one that the Lord will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Faith of action, purpose. Faith that will lead others to truth and eternity. So here's how we develop it. We hear and do the word of God. We hear and do the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Constantly, faith, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. You see, the more we're in the word, the more our faith grows. The more we're in the word, we understand the promises of God. The more we're in the word, we understand the character of God. The more we're in the word, we understand that God does these illogical things all the time and we get hindsight of the word to know what has happened. And that gives us faith to walk in that place that we're not 100% sure what the next step is, but we're 100% sure that he is with us and leading us and guiding us. Faith teaches us how to hear his voice more clearly. Faith teaches us, I mean, being in the word of God teaches us how to hear his voice more clearly. And being in the word of God teaches us how to test what we're hearing, to know that it's him, that we would take this step that often involves so much risk. And we would trust him. D.L. Moody said that he prayed for faith. And thought that it someday faith would just come down and strike me like a lightning, like lightning, he said. But faith did not seem to come. One day I read the 10th chapter of Romans, that passage we just read. Now faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I now opened my Bible and began to study. And faith has been growing ever since. We come back to this place almost every week. How is it that we're going to grow? How is it that we're going to ex- our faith is going to expand? How is it we're going to become more bold in our steps? How is it going to become more willing to take that risk? It was we're going to be in the word of God. But then the next thing we have to do is we have to be willing to act on the word of God. Remember James 1, 2 through 22 through 25? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So first, our faith is encouraged and it's grown because of our belief growing in the knowledge of who God is. And then we take action, and by acting out what the word says, our faith becomes stronger and stronger because we're like, it is actually true. I keep experiencing it, and the Bible said it, and I did it, and it's absolutely true. Come on, you can say that right now in your own life. I can say it in mine. I've yet to find a promise, a principle, a precept, a a command by God 
that hasn't lived out fully and truthfully in my life. I am so much stronger in my faith because of my time in the Word and what the Lord has done with that time. Are you in one of the 365 plans? It doesn't have to be ours. It could be another one. Are you in some sort of a plan that's taking you through the Word of God every day? Are you, are you, being, are you in the Word of God every day so that you're hearing it and reading it and taking it in? Are you learning to study the Word of God? Have you gone to one of the habits classes that you can learn more about studying and memorizing and creating habits to know more about the Word of God? We're going to have a foundations class coming up in April. We're going to study the character of God because it's the foundation of our faith. It's what we build our faith on. Maybe it's in life groups. Maybe it's listening to messages from other pastors. How is it that you're hearing the Word and learning the Word and obeying the Word? The next thing is we have to refuse to live alone. We talked about this a little bit last week. But I want to share this passage with you from Luke 5, 17 through 10, or 10 through 17. And it says this. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. You're like, what does this have to do with not being alone? I got a question for you. Who's on your rope? Who's on your rope? Who are you faithfully bringing before the Lord? Who are you fighting for? Who are you praying for? Who are you pouring the word of God into? Who's on your rope? Because we're not supposed to do it alone. And whose rope are you on? Who have you committed to to say, hey, hold me before the Lord. Walk with me when it's hard. Direct me when I feel directionless. Point me back to the Savior when I get pointed too much on myself. There's steps I got to take. Whose rope are you on and who's on your rope? Because we're not supposed to do it by ourselves. You know the redwood trees? know much about them. They're a favorite of mine. They're found in California. <laughs> I like them. They grow so large. They can be the oldest one is General Sherman. That's what they named it. And it's thought to be as old as 2,500 years old. It's 270 feet tall. It's 25 feet in diameter. This thing is massive. And so you think something that big must have a root that just goes, I mean, football fields down in order for it to stand and be withheld in winds and storms and everything else. Fires. It's one of the hardest trees to burn and get rid of. It almost never falls down in a storm. And guess what? Its roots are only found to be 12 to 15 feet deep. But the redwood is always in a grove. The redwood is, always grows with other redwoods. And its roots go out like this. And they intertwine with the other roots. And when they do that, they're strong. And if you're going to knock one redwood tree down, you're going to knock them all down. The shield of faith, we partner. We live life with one another. And we become stronger because of our belief in who God is and the way we challenge one another. We refuse to live alone. Finally this. Embrace your problems. Stop trying to run away from them. 
Stop wishing they were over. I know it's painful. I have them too. I know we want them to be done with. I know. We all do. And yet God wants to do so much with your problems. Embrace them. Embrace your trials. And watch him grow your faith like never before. What the enemy meant to trip us up and kick us and defeat us and and to cause others to bring harm into our lives and to cause problems in this big mess of life. The Lord's taken it and he is building your faith and building your faith and building your faith as he exemplifies his great power, as he works in your life in the midst of that problem, in the midst of that circumstance, as he causes you to live in a way that you trust him and trust him, and you take those steps in the midst of uh, of turmoil, in the midst of stress, in the midst of pain, you are growing in your faith. And you're growing for whatever is next. And you're growing to help others be lifted up. And you are growing And who knows what's going to come out of that trial and that circumstance. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We take that shield of faith that is based upon the person and character and power of God and we hold it right here and we run head on into the opposition. All the flames that come at us cannot extinguish our faith because it is based upon the truth of who God is. We do not sit and cower. We stand firm and we allow the power, the presence, the truth and the promises of God to be our shield. And we learn and we grow and we walk in action because that is what faith means. I worked really hard to get to this story. We got time. Let me end like this. In 1991, the building, the buildup of U.S. and coalition troops to the first Gulf War, General Charles Krulak of the U.S. Marine Corps was responsible for providing logistical support to 80,000 Marines moving into Kuwait. The site of their base was chosen because it had an old airfield and the ability to provide 100,000 gallons of fresh water per day as it has for centuries. Fighting in the desert succeeds or fails based upon the availability of water. 14 days before the, world, before the war was to begin, the commander-in-chief of the coalition forces, General Norman Schwarzkopf, implemented a new tactical plan of attack. It required creating a new base for the Marines and finding a new supply of water, but there was no water to be had at the new location. For two weeks, General Krulak and had military engineers dig exploratory wells. He queried the Saudi government and the Kuwaiti government, uh, local tribes, nomads, to any availability of supplies of water in this new location? And the answer was the same from all sources. There is no water. A committed Christian, General Krulak, 
pray daily in his devotional time for God to provide water for his troops. On the Sunday before the invasion, he was called out of a chapel service. What a great place to be called out of. He was called out of a chapel service by one of his staff officers who needed to show him something. They drove down a road that Krulak's Marines had built, a road he had driven down at least 70 times. 70 times he had driven down this road already. A road where at least 60,000 Marines had passed and stopped. His officer directed his attention to a spot 20 yards off the roadside. 20 yards. It's two first downs off the roadside where he saw something new. A 15-foot tall pipe with two large hoses connected at the top. At the bottom was a giant diesel engine, a pump, and 500-gallon tank filled with diesel fuel. They walked up to the spot, incredulous at what they were seeing. General Krulak pushed the diesel engine, the diesel engine's on button, and it roared to life, shooting fresh water out of the two hoses. His men measured the discharge, and the rate of water was 100,000 gallons a day, exactly what was required. The Marines didn't use diesel equipment. They had no diesel fuel. General Krulak had no idea how the well, the pump, and the fuel had materialized at exactly the right time, providing exactly the right amount of water. A reporter from the London Times covering the buildup to the war wrote an article that ran on the front page of the world-renowned paper, The Miracle Well. After retiring from the military, the, uh, the military command that he had, General Kerlach served as a president of the Small Liberal Arts College. And around 2013, an alumni from that school got in contact with him after he had read the article, The Miracle Well. And he wrote to the general to inquire whether he had learned the source of the well. The general's response, he had never learned where it came from. He still counts it as a miraculous answer to prayer. Our faith is built on belief and it is one of action. And who knows what God will do next. But he wants to do it through you and in you. Stand firm, brother and sister, even in your problems. He will reveal himself. He will show you. He will lead you. He will give you what you need. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that your word explains all that we need to know about you and challenges us to know you. Thank you that your word describes who you are and gives us the confidence to walk with you. Thank you that you have not left us alone, but gripped us by the roots of every person's faith around us. And you grow us together to be strong, a strong fighting force. And that in our problems, you speak the loudest. And our faith becomes real as we take action and trust you in each of our steps. Oh, Father, our faith is based upon you. It does not have to be logical, we understand. And we understand you risked all for us. And so we surrender all for you. We love you, Father. Thank you for allowing us to walk with you and that you walk before us. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.